Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Apex Podcast. As always, I am your host, John Almasy, and today we are going to be diving down a rabbit hole on health. I'm sitting across the table today from uh, Dr. Lexi Taylor. Dr. Taylor, thank you for coming to hang out today. Thank you for having me. So um, why don't we start off um, just by explaining uh, a little bit about um, how you ended up becoming passionate about what you do. Um, We've worked together for context for everybody that's listening uh, we've spent the last about year working together launching your business, Connected Nutrition. Um, and I, I'm not going to give away the spoilers about what Connected Nutrition actually does and all of the things because we'll be getting into that over the course of this episode. Um, but you are a chiropractor. So how long have you been interested in you know, holistic health, in chiropractic? What really drove that interest? And um, has it been something since childhood or did it come later in life? Yeah, so I was first introduced to the holistic healing and alternative healing world from a very young age, even before high school. Quickly, I realized that's what I wanted to do with my life. So I went to chiropractic school, obviously learned a lot more there, got really submerged in things. And from there, I continued learning. And the more I got involved in it, I realized that the nutrition aspect of things is Mm. where we could really flourish. And You can do so much healing with people, and that's where I realized that I want to teach people and help them learn how they can heal their bodies naturally instead of going kind of the traditional Western medicine route side of things. So that's actually a good, um, maybe that's a good differentiator to start with everybody that, you know, may be listening and they think medicine is medicine, right? And then they start to hear like Eastern or Ayurvedic medicines, and then they think Western. So when you say Western medicine, what does that mean to you? So... Um, I mean, traditional Western medicine is just, we don't have solutions for things, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a pill. Okay, you have this going on. Well, that means this. Here's here's a medication. We're not looking into certain I like looking diet. at symptoms a lot. Yeah, yeah, we're not looking into diet alternatives. How else can we heal this without a medication? Mm. All of these medications have side effects. And I see people all the time. I see patients who are on five, six, even 10 different medications. And we have no idea how those are interacting with one another. Um, And then we start getting medications just to treat symptoms from other medications. (laughs) And it's a huge rabbit hole that does not need to be there. Right, right. Yeah, I always think of when I think of, um, you know, and for those of you that are listening that maybe have uh, just associate my background with podcasting and, and entrepreneurship and stuff in a past life, I was an RN. Uh, that's what I went to school for. I spent three years working in the ERs and ICUs. Um, and we used to see that all the time, especially what you just said about, you know, prescribing a, a medication for the side effect of another medication. And then it gets even more complicated when you're hospitalized. And then we're giving you medications on top of all of your at-home medications. And we have to stop things while you're in the hospital and try to restart them when you're getting ready to leave. And there's all of this, these you know, they say non-compliance issues and stuff like that. But it's really what I find drives the most non-compliance, quote unquote, is people not being able to bear the side effects of the medication. And so to them, it's like, do I take the medication that the physicians are saying is supposed to help me that is making me feel worse? Or do I stop taking the medication and run the risk of whatever this disease process is? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's simple things, the cholesterol medications, you know, we're just putting people on statins every day, putting them on a cholesterol medication when we don't even mention, hey, change your diet a little bit, right. start exercising, and that can change things 100% for you, and you don't have to start this medication. Yeah, I've seen that a lot with my dad. My dad's a type 2 diabetic, um, and we've been working 
Um, and he's been on everything from, you know, starting off with the, the metformin base, right? And then going to like Genuvia or Ozempic now, which is like the big thing and all these other yeah, kind of stuff, right? Now. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 which is crazy to me because it's like marketed towards the type 2 diabetics, but also off-brand marketed as a weight loss drug. And that's like its own slew of issues, it right? Is. <laughs> um, but I've noticed with him just getting him and he's almost 70 years old. Just getting him back into a routine of, I'm going to walk 30 minutes a day. And not like gentle pace. Like I'm going to push myself into that zone two cardio level. And for those of you that don't know what zone two cardio is, it's it's basically a, a level of exercise where you are, um, you're strained enough for breath that you couldn't have like a conversation with somebody. But you're not so out of breath that you're like going to pass out, right? That's been way more helpful than a lot of medications that he's tried right over the years something as simple as that yeah something as simple as walking yeah yeah um okay so so that's kind of the the western medication side or the western medicine side what is the the other side is it just looking at things from a a broader perspective and to your point incorporating stuff like diet exercise and and things of that it is yeah and it's a whole learning curve really because People are not introduced to this from a young age, and there's a lot of aspects to it. Yeah. So with with the people that I work with, I like to start off with talking about diet. Very simple things like making sure you're eating breakfast, making sure you're getting protein in in the mornings, not drinking coffee on an empty stomach. Mm. So it is a very holistic thing, talking about those certain diet and lifestyle things. Lifestyle things would be, you know, if you're having issues regulating blood sugar or even hormonally, Um, taking a walk after your meals, a 10 minute walk after your meals, just moving can help to regulate that blood sugar a little bit. Just giving those little tips and tricks that people aren't aware of. As far as diet goes, we really dive into what people are eating because they're just not aware of what better alternatives are at this point. Yeah. So, and then first other things we'll talk about certain supplementations that can help because our food is significantly decreased in nutrients in terms of where it used to be. Even just 10 years ago, we do not get half the nutrients, the vitamins and minerals that we used to in our food. So a lot of Hmm. people ask me, you know, why do we have to supplement? Why is there a point where we need to start supplementation? Because we just can't get the nutrients like we used to. So it is a must for almost everybody. Yeah, I think a really... Um, easy to recognize example because I, I try to talk to people about that as well. Um, the at least the nutrient devoid food, right? Growing up on more of like a farm and like growing all of our own food and everything like that. I think a really easy example for people is asking them what color they think an egg yolk is. You know, and depending on whether they answer bright yellow or dark orange, yeah, is really kind of a big differentiator between how many how much the nutrient dense, how nutrient dense that egg actually is. Even just learning the difference, that's something that I talk with patients a lot about too. When you're doing eggs, you know, they should be pasture-raised eggs. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be cage-free. Those cage-free chickens are still not outside. They're not eating bugs. They're not in the grass. They're not in the natural sunlight. So pasture-raised is really where it's at. And it's those little itty-bitty tips and tricks that really makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which actually, it's probably a good... um a good time to jump into um, nutrition labels. So that's something that, like, I mean, before we were turning on the mics and stuff like that, that, that we've talked about 
um, extensively through it the past year of, of building Connected Nutrition, which we'll still get to. We'll find out what Connected Nutrition is all about here in a little bit. But um, nutrition labels, what what are things that people can look at? And you've already kind of said, okay, this is the difference between cage-free and pasture-raised, right? Are there other like designations, whether it's organic, non-organic, or other labels that people can look for? It's like, oh, this is something that you know, maybe not every time I can guarantee this is a great product, but these are good clues that this is something that would be beneficial. Right. As far as organic and non-organic goes, I definitely have a preference to do all organic everything. If that's not in your budget or within your means, then you can always look up the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. The Dirty Dozen Interesting. is- Interesting. I don't know if I've heard of those. Yeah. The Dirty Dozen is the most heavily sprayed with pesticide foods. So those are the ones that you always want to get organic. That's kind gotcha. of a non-negotiable. The Clean 15 are ones that really aren't that heavily sprayed or they have thicker skins on them on those fruits and vegetables, so they're not as easily penetrated with those pesticides. Oh, okay. So the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15, look it up. There's lots of things out there. You can find um, infographics super easily on those. And And they come out with a new one every year too, I believe. And then as far as ingredient labels go, we really want to avoid processed foods as Mm. much as possible. Ideally, when you're grocery shopping, stay on the edge of the grocery store, right? Don't go in those inside aisles where all the processed junk is. If you do need to go in there, because it's not always possible for everybody to do 100% whole foods, right? Right, right. So if you do have to go into those, those middle aisles, checking the labels, Salad dressings are a really big one. So salad dressings, you need to look at the oil that's used. You don't want to be using sunflower oil or... I know there's a lot of soybean oil and stuff too. Yeah, soy yeah. oils, that sort of thing. You that really ruined my life when I realized that ranch was like 90% soybean oil. I was like, oh no. Yes. Now I just get the packets and mix it with buttermilk. Yeah, or canola <laughs> oil. So you really want to go for extra virgin olive oil or avocado oil. There's always certain brands that I point to that are better than others that always have clean products. So, you know, if we talk about those brands, it's easy just to stick with those when you know that they're clean brands and they do their due diligence in using the right ingredients. So what is what is a big, um, I mean, if, if oil is such a big thing that's inside of the um, salad dressings that we're looking for and stuff like that, is it that, you know, the canolas and the other seed oils and stuff like that, are they um, more inflammatory than the avocado oil and the olive oil? Or, or you know, I guess what is the benefit of actually using the, the other oils versus falling into that trap? Yeah, those oils are very inflammatory. They don't contain as much omega-3s. They're more omega-6s. Those omega-3s are the good fatty acids. Those omega-6s, omega-9s, you need them to an extent because you need a good ratio, but it creates a lot of inflammation in the body when we're overdoing it. And even with processed foods like chips and anything like that, they're always using soybean oil, canola oil, that sort of thing. So you're getting it in a lot more than you recognize, so it's not something that you want to intently purchase. Right. Especially if you, I, I know that um, when I worked in food service, the majority of restaurants are cooking in canola oils, mm-hmm. you know, and, and large oil fryers and stuff like that. If you're getting fried foods at, you know, bars, things of that nature, most of the time your fries are cooked in in um, like canola and other seed oils and stuff like that. So it's not just the products that you're buying at the store. It's 
because it's so cheaply created and mass produced, it's, it's a lot of different places. So if you're eating out three nights a week and your cupboard is stacked with these oils, you're just getting hit from all sides. Right. Then that's pretty much all you're getting in if that's the case. Right. Right. I like the, um, I like the analogy. I never would have thought of it this way. I like the analogy of avoiding the middle aisles. I've never really thought about like the layout of the way the grocery store is actually set up. But now I, as soon as you said that I'm picturing like walking into the giant Eagle and like the left-hand side all being produce and the fridges and like the vegetables sitting out with the little automated sprayers and stuff like that. And then you slowly go to the right and it just gets more and more processed until you reach the opposite side and it's all the frozen foods. Right. Yeah, I never those, would have caught that. Those outside aisles sticking to produce, meat and seafood is always, you know, on the outside of mm-hmm. the store. On the other side, you have your dairy, your eggs, all of that. So just sticking to those outside aisles and only going to the inside aisles for maybe those couple of things that you need to stock up on here and there. Right, right. Um, I'm wondering, you know, if somebody goes to, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this question. If somebody were to start Googling, um, you know, ways to be more health conscious, right? I'm sure that there's probably, you know, a couple of different categories that you typically address with people. Um, could you speak to what some of those, like, I guess, main buckets of knowledge might be or, or, you know, where people could start that rabbit hole if they wanted to start doing some of their own research? Yeah. So focusing on gut health is a big one because everything Mm. is stemming from the gut, right? So that goes into diet, checking your nutrition labels, making sure you don't have all those inflammatory foods. There's not loads of processed sugars in those foods that you're taking in. I know looking at like enriched is a big uh, phrase with like flowers and sugars and stuff like that. If it's enriched, I know that that's like a, a flag word. Right. So the enriched is where they're pretty much taking all the good stuff out and they're putting fake nutrients and fake vitamins back in, which mm. the issue with that is that your body doesn't recognize it. It doesn't absorb it readily and it's just not good quality. It's it's a fake synthetic vitamin that your body doesn't really know what to do with. Right. That's why I really push whole food supplements when we're doing any sort of supplementation. Right, right. So focusing on gut health, that's a big one. Just diet, taking certain probiotics, not for everybody always, but most people should be doing a probiotic. Digestive enzymes are a great one. Um, Talking about environmental toxins too, that's a big one. We're constantly bombarded with toxins every day. So taking an inventory of what you're using in your home, your certain cleaners, maybe candles or fragrance products, Mm -hmm. laundry detergents, fabric softeners, what you're putting on your skin every day, right? Your shampoos, your body washes, any lotions, those are, your skin is the largest organ um, of the body. I love that fact. That's one of my favorite facts because people are always so surprised when you say that. They're like, my skin is an organ? And I'm like, yeah, it's permeable. It can absorb things. It it has a protective measure. So skin is the largest organ of the body and then the liver is the largest organ in the body. So, and those are the most, both of the organs that have to process all of those toxins that you're constantly exposed to. So gut health, environmental toxins, and just general diet and nutrition, those are the really basic building blocks of things. And if you can get those in check, everything else is going to follow. Yeah, yeah. You you use this phrase a couple of different times when we've talked. Um, uh, I want to say it's toxic load is is the phrase. Um, could you dive into a little bit of about what 
toxic load is and how people can could think about that, like uh, a way that they could picture their toxic load? Yeah, everybody's toxic load is a little bit different. I like to explain it as a bucket, right? Because everyone's bucket is a little bit different than someone else's. People who are really paying attention to these products and using clean products, eating clean, their toxic load is going to be a little bit less. When people just aren't aware of these things, right? It's not a bad thing. We just want to bring awareness to it and make people educated on it because you can't do better unless you know better. So we're trying to educate on that. I'll double click on that. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) So trying to educate on it. So if you're not educated on any of this stuff, your toxic load, your bucket is going to be overflowing, Mm -hmm. right? And you have to make sure that those certain detox pathways are open. So somebody whose detox pathways are not open, their toxic load is completely overflowing, their bucket's overflowing, this has nowhere else to go. So this is when you start experiencing symptoms too, Mm. if it's related to toxic load in terms of everything. So you can get skin rashes, you can get um, acne, low energy, bloating, fatigue. These are things that most people experience on a day-to-day basis. The majority of my patients have digestive issues. They don't have great energy. They don't sleep great. So these are the very basic things that you need to function every day. And it's crazy to me that people are going day to day feeling like total crap. Yeah, yeah. I. So the Browns just played this past weekend, right? And we don't need to talk about the game. Yeah, we don't need to talk about the game. Um but I, I try to eat relatively clean um, and not more so for like, you know, uh, you know, I'm not an athlete anymore. I'm not powerlifting. I'm not doing any of this other stuff. But I notice when I go to a football party, I have a couple of beers, I have some buffalo chicken dip. You know, I have a couple pieces of pizza. I sleep almost the entire next day. Right. Like. I, I have to make sure, and I'm glad that football games happen on weekends, right? <laughs> I'm not like going to Monday night football and pigging out because I know I have to go to work the next day and I would be, it, I would be terrible. I'd be a terrible human being the next day. I would be grouchy. I would not have energy. Like I would not feel good. Um, and I, I talk to, you know, friends of mine and like that is their day to day. Right. Yeah. And then I, I start to think and, and, and you double clicked on something that makes me think of, of mental health as well. It's, you know, Western medicine is treating a lot of mental health issues with SSRIs and with anti-anxiety medications and all this other stuff. And I will die on a mountain by saying that I think that the majority of, and as somebody that suffers from ADHD and anxiety, like the majority of ADHD, anxiety, and um, maybe depression, depression's a little bit different. There are a lot of like genetic implications with depression, but I think a lot of those first two could be solved by good sleep. And even gut health, right? The majority of your serotonin is produced in the gut right there when I tell people that. And even in terms of seasonal depression, vitamin D, I see people every day, their vitamin D levels are 13, right? For reference, I really like to see it about between 50 and 70. And I've seen people as low as 13. Yeah. Um, It's a huge issue. So, you know, vitamin D is a hormone, And everybody forgets that too. So Mm. just these little things that are so important that we need to make sure these basic nutrients are stocked up in your body. They're at those good levels and not just within the traditional Western medicine ranges because 30 is really the low end of the range for Western medicine, but that's not quite, it's it's just not enough for everybody. There's a difference between like being in the range and being like healthy. 
Yes. Potentially, yeah. Yeah, and there's a difference between low end of range and, you know, this is really optimal for your body's function, and we right. want to be in that optimal range. Right, and everybody's optimal range, I'm sure, is different. You know, that I know people, um, you know, some of the guys that I serve in the military with, they could run on four to six hours for an extended period of time and be fine. Um, and then there's other people that I know that if they're not getting 11 hours of sleep a night, they're terrifying to be around. <laughs> um, right. And I, I always thought that that was just like a mentality thing. And then I started um, going down a rabbit hole and there's actually genetic factors that determine like how long your body can go in an optimal state of health with reduced sleep. And there's different people that can handle different thresholds and stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to you saying that vitamin D is a hormone. Um, because I think that's something else that I see, at least my algorithms bombarding me with stuff all the time about hormones. I'm not sure what anybody else's algorithms look like, but that seems to be something that is a huge topic of discussion right now is, you know, on top of all these diet and lifestyle things, um, you know, the way that, uh, soybean oil affects estrogen levels, you know, and stuff like that. So maybe we opened up the, the hormone Pandora's box here. Um, and what are some of the things that you, um, encounter the most consistently um, when it comes to hormones um, and how do you tend to approach that bucket of conversation? Yeah, when it comes to hormones, I really find that people don't know what normal is. They don't know what that should look like. So this really especially goes for females and relating to cycles. I'll ask somebody, you know, how is your cycle? They'll say, oh, yep, it's fine. It's normal. Well, when we dive into it, it's not. It's maybe 40, 50 days total cycle length. They're having really heavy cramping. They're feeling terrible. They're having these awful mood swings. Mm -hmm. And that's not normal. We've really normalized, even going back to gut health a little bit, we've normalized bloating, having indigestion, constipation, stomach pain, right? We see that all the time on social media. They're making shirts talking about stomach pain being yeah, normal yeah, yeah. And, and whatever. I just saw a sweatshirt not too long ago that said tummy ache survivor on it. Yeah. Right. It's that's And then there's also a pill normal. for that. You know? Look at that. There's there's a medication for it. Yeah. And the traditional, you know, traditional medicine doesn't really know how to solve it. GI docs, they're not doing a great job at this. And it's really easy to fix. I see these people all the time. Um, going back to hormones again. So just realizing what normal is and kind of putting people in the right direction. And even when we're unloading that toxic burden, opening up drainage pathways, these hormones can naturally fall into place because your liver has to detox that estrogen. So that's a really important part in it. Right, right. Well, so when you say your liver has to detox that estrogen, you meaning that your liver has to try to like correct your levels or, or what is it detoxing? Exactly. So your estrogen goes through three different detox phases in the liver. Certain pathways are more favorable than others. This is also what we look at when we do our Dutch testing. We look at those hormone pathways and how estrogen is being detoxified in the body. If it's not going down the proper pathways, then it creates free radicals in the body, which are are damaging Mm. to the body. We have to go in and fix that. We have to use up antioxidants and glutathione to fix those free radicals. So the liver's job is really important in terms of basic hormone function. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear um, that phrase a lot, you know, the um, uh, free radicals uh, moving into your body and stuff like that. And, and from my understanding, free radicals are kind of, they're inflammatory, 
right? And they're a byproduct of, I'm not gonna, I'm trying to piece it together, but. It's always different things, right? Free radicals are pretty much these unstable elements in the body. So those elements just have to be corrected. And if we don't correct them, if we don't have proper antioxidants in the body to do so, then these lead to things in the long term like cancer and like disease. Right, right, right. Yeah, because your body doesn't just doesn't know what to do with them. Yeah, because and, right. and that's something just in science in general. Like, mm-hmm. it's always going to find something to attach to, right. you know, or your body's going to have to deal with it in some way. There's no, uh, your body's always on a constant quest back towards homeostasis, right? Which is just a fancy word for balance or a central point mm-hmm. of functioning, which makes a lot of sense. Um, so when it comes to, so let's say you're you're talking to a person and and they say, hey, I'm having these, you know. Um, irregular cycle lengths. I'm experiencing a lot of bloating. I have a lot of this pain going on in my life. Um, where where is like the start of the pathway, um, towards recovery for for a person that's kind of experiencing those things? I mean, I know it's different for every person, so it is. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to say, and it's hard to point one thing out. Um, but focusing on general toxic load is a big one. Um, we can focus on. It's not just hormones that we look at. We have to dive a lot deeper into the why, which is why connected nutrition and what we do is totally different. We're not just guessing. We're not just treating those symptoms. We're really diving into the why of everything, which is, um, you know, why it takes so long to sometimes correct these things. We spend quite a bit of time talking initially with people about what does their lifestyle look like? Because it can be, you know, 10, 15 different things that, this is why it's, it's happening all playing to you. Into it, yeah. It's never cookie cutter for anybody, which is why we really like to dive deep, take a really good history, and see exactly what your why is and where we need to focus. Those those protocols look different for everybody. Yeah, I think that that's an important thing to think about too. You know, if you've been, let's say that you have um, never really. Um, you know, learned how to read a nutrition label, or you. Um, you know, have been eating a lot of processed foods your entire life, you know, that's 10, 20, 30 years of buildup of right. habits of, of foods entering your body, of your body having to adapt to those free radicals and high omega sixes and like all the other things that we've been talking about it. Unlike Western medicine's promise, which is you can take this pill and whatever is pissing you off will stop. Um, which is really just kind of putting a patch, you know, on it and not paying attention to what's behind, you know, actually causing the leak. They're just like, oh, well, let's just stop this leak and wait for three or four other ones to start right. to spring out. Um, it is a journey. And that's something that, you know, you spent that much time getting to that place. You, you're you going to have to invest some time to unwind all of that damage. Yeah. But it is possible. The body is an, amu- is an amazing thing. It definitely is possible. A lot of people, you know, I see that, they're not really willing to do it, but it's the right way to do things. It's how we need to do things. It's not just about the symptoms you're experiencing now, but it's what's going to happen down the line mm-hmm. too. We really have to look at this as an investment and it's an investment in your time, in your money, and then in your body because at the end of the day, that's all you have. Right, right. Yeah, there's um, there's a quote and I'm going to have to paraphrase this and I don't remember who the quote is, but I see it all the time you know, again, in like the, my algorithm, whatever it's deciding to show me. Um, but that, you know, health is nothing until it's the only thing you don't have. And then it's everything. Right. 
it's like the operating system on a computer, right? Like you don't understand what's going on behind the scenes, but as soon as you try to click on something and it doesn't open, you're like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, you have to have your health because nothing else can function. You can't do anything unless you're healthy and your body is doing doing the work that it's been designed to do. Yeah, exactly. How often do you think about having a nose until it's stuffy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're like, I will, the only thing I want is to be able to breathe <laughs> through my nose again. I think, yeah, that's funny. I used to talk to patients about that in the hospital all the time. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, seasonality. And we've already kind of hit on like the diet nutrition piece, but I thought that this was a really um, interesting piece um, that we discussed, you know, prior to the mic kicking on because uh, I think it's something that the Slavic culture that I grew up in has done like very naturally. Um but it's not something that I ever thought about being intentional or purposeful um, until you brought up, you know, the reasoning behind eating, eating seasonally. So I guess, you know, to kind of back that up, um, just starting with, with what exactly eating seasonally means and then and what are the different types of foods in the different seasons that make sense and why do they make sense? So it's pretty much what is whatever is being harvested at that point in time. Wintertime, it's a little bit more important than summertime because our bodies require a little bit more during the winter. It really is a period of rest. We have to take the time. It's darker out much earlier. We have, you know, very limited sunlight and daylight. So we have to take the time, let our bodies rest, and nourish them a little bit more. In terms of eating seasonally, that looks like doing warm, nourishing foods. Soups, things that are cooked and hot, they're baked. You know, you took some time with it. In terms of specific foods, it can be different squashes, um, you know, pomegranates are in season in the in the fall. In the summer, you're not going to want those foods anyways, but in the winter, you really want to avoid salads, these cold processed, not necessarily processed, but cold raw vegetables. Mm-hmm. You don't want to load your body up with that because it's not warm enough. It doesn't have all of the energy to break it down like it normally would in the summer. And in the summer, you want to lean towards those foods more. But it's not quite as detrimental to do warm foods in the summer as it is to do cold foods in the winter. Yeah, I feel like your body, um, unbeknownst to us, whether or not we are aware of it or not, um, is trying to process less humidified air. It's trying to process colder temperatures. Like right now, we're in the great state of Ohio, and it's you know going to be single digits with a real feel of negative 10 you know, over the next week. And your body has to kick into a higher gear, a higher metabolic rate to keep all of that engine moving. And if you're adding, you know, not just cold from the outside and now you're cold from the inside, I could see how that could add a little bit of extra stress into your body's, you know, um, daily routine. Right. We really do need to nourish our bodies during this time. And we kind of wonder why everybody gains a little bit of weight in the winter. Well, it's, it's natural to an extent, but it shouldn't be, you know, more than a few pounds every right. winter, which is, it's normal because we're not moving, we're not eating like we normally would, but that's how it has to look like. Right, right. Hmm. You know, I think that um, that's something that we need to, to just double click on for people that, you know, it doesn't, it may not be more than, a, or it doesn't need to be more than a couple pounds. It shouldn't be, you know, you're not gaining 15, 20 pounds in the wintertime, but that that fluctuation in weight is also a natural part of, you know, like a yearly cycle. And if you are paying attention and you have awareness around your body, 
you know, having an extra couple of pounds of fat. I know a lot of, you know, my friends that compete in bodybuilders, RJ, my co-founder here at Apex, is a previous Mr. Ohio bodybuilder. And there's a reason why the majority of them do bulking seasons in the wintertime. Right. You know, they're not cutting down to 6%, 8% body fat in January because uh, it's just not, you know, your body has to work so hard to stay warm um, and it's not, you know, as healthy for them at that point. Um, and they're at the extreme of manipulating their body weights and stuff like that. Right. And they're able to, they could, but it's not easy. It's not healthy. It's not what your body wants to do. Your body's not going to help you in that endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, for the Ohioans it also going back to the vitamin D conversation, that's such an important thing. That's like one of my, the first things that I bring up if someone's like, man, I just, I feel like crap all the time. Like, I used, normally I could wake up in the morning and I feel like I'm good to go and I'm just chugging so much more caffeine and I can't sleep and all this other kind of stuff. And they're like, I'm just going to take, you know, 10 milligrams of melatonin. And I'm like, oh no, like that's also a hormone, right? Like that could throw off your circadian rhythm um, if you're taking that much. Um, do you, does that come up in conversation at all? Like people uh, taking way too high of doses of melatonin or just kind of leaning on stuff? Yeah, I think the awareness of melatonin is a little bit more out there, at least in who I'm speaking with day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, melatonin is important. There's two sides to this because it actually is a major antioxidant in the body. So interesting. Okay. There are some people who I'll recommend a small dose of melatonin, like very small, one to two milligrams, right? We're not talking these people who are taking excessive amounts every single day long term. That's not what we want to do. Right. If And definitely not in kids. That's where I'm really against it in the kids. There's other ways to do things. You know, you can do magnesium lotion. What's the difference between adults and children? We just don't want to alter things too much in the kids because Mm -hmm. then, you know, that's leading, that's telling their body what they need to do in the long run as they're growing up and as they're developing. And that's not something they really want to So their body is adapting to it in a way. Right. Yeah, it's setting their normal. Interesting. Interesting. That makes sense. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't have put that together. You're like, you're allowing the body to almost have like a crutch that early on. And then does it, does it just, you know, prevent them from producing their own natural uh, cycles if it's, if it's dosed for long-term at a higher dose type of thing? There's a lot of different studies on this um, and certain people will say different things about it, but everything is a feedback loop in the body, right? Everything Mm. is a negative feedback loop or positive feedback loop. So if you're constantly getting this, endogenous um, or exogenous in this case, hormone or melatonin, that sort of thing, your body's not going to want to produce quite as much because it's already understanding there's enough in the body. And if that's a long-term thing, it can become a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to dive into parasites, but I want to dive back to uh, something that's a diet related question. And this is almost a, a personal question that just came up as we were talking here. Um, you mentioned the importance of eating breakfast. What is the, you know, positives and negatives of somebody that is engaging in, you know, maybe some type of intermittent fasting schedule versus the risk of not eating in the morning and then um, having your body in a state of utilizing stress hormone or, or whatever it's using as fuel in that morning? Like, how do you balance... Um, those two I, schools of thought, I guess, or like what are the different applications for both? Cause I know that they're both, you know, have potential function. Yeah. They, they both are helpful in certain circumstances. 
in most cases, what I see is that people aren't eating enough. We're never eating mm. enough as a society. There's oftentimes where interesting. I, I would have thought the opposite. It's not. We're not getting enough good foods in. We're not getting enough fruits and veggies and high quality meats, and we're just overdoing it on the processed things. Oh, so okay, gotcha. When you said nutrients. not eating enough, I was like, interesting. That's a. But so we're not eating enough of the foods that we need to be eating. Both. I see people every day who people tell me, no, I don't eat breakfast. I say, okay, great. Well, what about lunch? What does that look like? Well, a lot of times I'm not eating lunch either. You know, <sighs> how are we eating one meal a day? Your body cannot survive on that. Absolutely. Right. That's when right. those, those stress hormones kick up. Your body thinks that you are running from a tiger all the time. Yep. You're was, not going to yep. lose weight. People are upset. I eat one meal a day. I'm still not losing weight. Why? because you're stressing your body out and it's trying to run from a tiger 24-7 right now and that is not sustainable. Intermittent fasting can be okay for people who do it short term and for the right person. Mm. Most people are not the right person for intermittent fasting. Right. If you do it, then you know your diet needs to be pretty much perfect. You need to be getting all whole foods, all good nutrients in. It's hard and the people who do it don't really tend to do it right either. Right. So that's another big factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a difference between purposely choosing to do like a 14-hour intermittent or, you know, 16 if you're pushing it versus just getting busy and drinking your coffee on an empty stomach in the morning and then yeah. getting so busy at work that you forget to eat lunch and you're like, oh, I fasted <laughs> today. Yeah, and those people who yeah. do intermittent fasting – you know, they have to push to get all those calories in, in that oh, yeah. eight hour time frame, six hour time frame, whatever it might look like for them. Right. And that's a lot of work on its own. So you really have to be committed to it if that's what you're going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to do a lot more of, of intermittent fasting. And then I got to a point where I started to realize, um, and I think it might have been actually one over one of our conversations over summer when we were working on content for the site. Um, when I realized, oh, my cortisol is spiking mm -hmm. super early in the day and it's right before I go into all of these meetings no wonder I'm feeling stressed out and making decisions from like a scarcity mindset I wonder what would happen if you know I don't break my fast like crazy but I just take a 30 you know gram um uh protein shake in the morning totally different human you know, if I yeah. take those 30 grams and that gets me to the point where, you know, I can make it through two hours worth of meetings and then I have um, a whole food lunch. Like lately, I've been doing a lot of um, kimchi, um, rice and like seasoned chicken mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I feel fantastic for the rest of the day. But then it's a wildly different feeling than waking up and then not eating and trying to just drink water through the first portion of my day. Totally, totally different ballgame. Right. And most people are really too stressed out in general life, whether it's work, school, home, kids. We're too stressed out in every other aspect to then add more additional stress to your life in terms of diet. Right. Right. Yeah. I think I, I want to be, if you're listening to this and you're somebody that deals with ADHD or you deal with anxiety or you deal with you know, um, maybe not wanting to be in social situations on a regular basis or you like catch yourself getting to the end of your day and even wanting to have the energy to be around the people that you love because you've just been around others all day. And then you find yourself like, I don't even have the energy to like, you know, engage with my significant other. 
diet is a place that I would look, you know? Yeah, it's the foundation for everything, right? You have to fuel your body appropriately to get out of it what you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I, I kind of teased this, and then and we're going to come back to it, but parasites. So um, I, prior to us really having this this deep dive, I was under the impression that parasites were more of a third world problem, right? And I think that that's probably a, a mentality that's shared by a lot of listeners, Um it doesn't sound like it is just in that arena. Um, so why don't we dive into a little bit about parasites? Um, maybe we talk about one or two of the most common ones that you see. Um, and then we can kind of dive into like, what does a detox from that actually look like? And, and why is that a beneficial thing? Or what are some of the protocols that people can go through? Yeah, parasites are really common, and we do often think of it, you know, oh, did you go to a third world country, or something major happened for you to get a parasite, and that's just not the case. Mm. The best thing that I have heard and agree with is that if you're breathing and living, you have parasites. It's just a natural part Mm. of your microbiome. So what we're looking at in terms of parasites, number one is pinworms are a really big one, especially in children. It's more prevalent in, or most prevalent in over 50% of kids. Hmm. So the majority of people have kids or are around kids, even if you're working in an environment like teachers, that sort of thing. Right. So pinworms are really prevalent and their eggs can actually be airborne for weeks at a time. So yeah. Kids don't wash their hands. They're not sanitary ever. It's just a fact. <laughs> it's kids. it's yeah. how they are. They're not sanitary. So for the kids, those are really prevalent in anybody who has that type of exposure. The other type I see a lot are roundworms. When we do parasite cleanses in people, these are what they're seeing. They're seeing roundworms being excreted from their body. Um, and that's when people are like, okay, that's gross, but hey, I know that this is working. I know that this is what I need to be doing. Um, So it is reassuring to to a point that that it's working and that's what needs to be done. And everybody has those parasites, but it's not necessarily an issue for everybody. It's, again, when that load is overgrown, it's overflowing, that we need to look into that. And parasites can hold up to six to eight times their weight in other pathogens, in viruses, bacteria, Mm. Lyme disease. So they're dirty. They're kind of hanging on to all this stuff. And when we look into chronic health issues, a lot of times parasite cleansing is where I'll start. Interesting. Interesting. So what are, I mean, you you said that, you know, they're hanging on to all these pathogens and that leads to the toxic load bucket overflowing. Is it the same types of symptoms, you know, that you look for that may trigger um, wanting to put somebody on a a parasite cleanse or is it like there has to be a potential exposure event for you to look down that rabbit hole or no exposure event um not at all with people certain symptoms they'll notice maybe digestive issues it can be rashes they're very general symptoms really Mm -hmm. it can be stomach pains digestive complaints but a big thing we see is that they're worse around the full moon because during the full moon, serotonin goes up and melatonin goes down. So the serotonin makes those parasites a lot more active. Mm. And that's why you get more symptoms during that time. You also might experience certain sleep disturbances during that time, usually a couple days during the full moon and then after a few days also. Are the um, So with the serotonin being that that's such an important hormone, are, are the parasites kind of gobbling all of that up as the gut is producing it then? You said it makes them more active, so I'm assuming that they're, 
you know, stealing it from you, essentially. If you have a high amount of parasites in your gut, is any of that serotonin really making it into the into the body to do what it's supposed to do? Or um, does a parasite cleanse, like, you know, you get rid of all those extra parasites, now this person um, has more serotonin to work with, in a way? Not necessarily, but the parasites, they just cause a lot of inflammation in the body, and they call, cause all these other negative effects because of what they're hanging on to and what they're doing. And they're not necessarily just in the digestive system either, where we think of serotonin being related. They can be in the brain. I mean, there were, there was a recent news story that was kind of all over Instagram where somebody was diagnosed with something and then they realized that it wasn't that diagnosis. It was actually parasites in the brain. Oh geez. Um, (laughs) There's evidence showing that MS could maybe be parasites and not really the pathology that we had initially thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Hmm. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> not fun to think about. Yeah, no, not fun to think about, but definitely good to have an awareness of, you know, or to yes. be on the same page with. I know that you also um, said that, you know, if you have pets and stuff like that, that that's also a, a pretty big indicator for those. Right. There's a lot of ways that you can be exposed to these parasites. We talked about kids being a big one. Um, but if you're not washing your fruits and veggies, right? That's a huge one. My husband, sweet, perfect. But when he cooks, I'm like, did you wash the veggies? Oh, no, I forgot. He always forgets to wash the veggies. So that's a big (laughs) exposure to you have to wash your veggies. Um, Pets coming into the home, they're outside. Those parasites are in the ground. Um, The pets are coming into your home then. You're not washing their feet with soap and water. Uh, They're maybe coming into your bed on your furniture, and they're spread that way. People are kissing their pets, right? Their pets are licking their paws and then licking their face. Um, so there's a lot of ways that you're, you're like naming to that. all of the ways that I show affection to my dog. Right. Everybody's <laughs> like, oh yeah, I shouldn't do that. Okay. Yeah. Noted. Noted. Um, well, okay. So we're we're starting to get to the to the uh, towards the end of the episode here, which I is bonkers. I mean, it doesn't feel like we've been sitting here for an hour, but. Um, well, maybe it does for you, but for me, this hour <laughs> has been flying by. This is, this has been a lot of really great information. Um, I want to dive into, you know, we've gotten a lot of, of advice from you. We've heard about your backstory and everything like that, but I, I, I want to make sure that everybody gets the chance to hear about your vision behind Connected Nutrition um, and, and why you decided to, you know, kind of step out on your own um, and start building this thing. So, um, I guess what was the initial impetus or the initial inspiration for, hey, I, you know, want to try to pursue being not just a a doctor of chiropractic and somebody that's passionate about holistic wellness. I also want to be an entrepreneur. And not everybody makes that leap. Um, and then what is the vision behind Connected Nutrition? Yeah, the vision behind it is education. It's bringing awareness to what we need to do as a society. Because like I said, people just aren't educated. And if you don't know better, you can't do better. So that's what we want to do. We want to put put things out there, get things out there on social media, and just help as many people as we can in this way of things. Um, we can reach a lot more people than specifically doing face-to-face interaction. Right. Um, we can get more content out there, sort of like we're doing now as well. So the goal with it is just to help as many people as possible and get the word out there. I mean, post-COVID, now... Um, the natural health side of things is getting a lot more traction. People are seeing that this is worth something and this is kind of what we need to be looking into. Those healthy people didn't get as sick, right? So they're realizing what your health is worth and 
that's kind of the environment that we want to be in and we want to keep promoting. Yeah, I love that. I, yeah, I think that um, post-COVID, that there was almost this, um, I don't want to describe it, like maybe a veil, I guess, over the pharma industry um, and its connections to the FDA and those two playing together and their connections to insurance companies and what yeah. physicians are required to push. And, you know, um, I, and when I was still in the hospital, I remember physicians, you know, when COVID was first hitting, they really felt like it wasn't up to their interpretation anymore. You know, they were being mandated as to what their treatment protocols were supposed to be for patients. Um, and I think that was one of the first times that I really saw maybe what the darker side of, of Western medicine could be because, you know, taking the oath of um, Florence Nightingale and then knowing so many people that have taken the Hippocratic oath, you know, they take those words very seriously, right? And then the goal is to not do harm. Um, and then you dive into, you know, who paid for what study of what drug and how it made it into market and the number of times that pharma companies have released things into the market and been like, this is going to be great for everybody. And here's our four studies that were paid for by us. Right. And then a decade later, it's the opioid ep epidemic or, you know, other stuff that kind of cracks. So I, I'm really grateful that there's people like you out there that are, you know, not just passionate about this space, but willing to kind of go toe to toe with the establishment as it, as it were. Right. Yeah, this veil has been lifted, um, and these are things that we've been saying forever, and we've been called crazy, and yeah. people look at us like we're insane and have no idea what we're talking about, and it's just now gaining this traction, and people are like, oh my gosh, did you know this? And well, yeah, we've been saying that for the last <laughs> 10 years, and nobody's listened, though. There yeah. are very few people who have listened and understood, and it's really nice that that side of things is kind of transitioning at this point. It's really right. nice to see. Yeah, I think another thing that's been helping is people, I mean, the internet has done a lot of negative things. It's done a lot of positive things. I was just talking to my little brother about this um, yesterday. You know, on one side of the house, we've lifted 100,000 people a day out of poverty since the early 2000s, right? And that's was possible because of the internet and massive wealth redistribution and all this other kind of stuff. On the flip side, we have more mega billionaires than we've ever had. Right. On one side, we have infinite knowledge sharing. And then on the other side, we've got a lot of disinformation or people falling into traps of like scam artists and stuff. But I think one thing that it has done inside of this space that's really been positive is exposing people to other ways that other countries do things, other cultures do things. Um, and we were talking about this um, probably a week ago about my family in, in Slovakia and the way that you know, um, uh, physicians will actually approach things where right? instead of prescribing a drug right away, that there are, you know, more holistic life approaches, whether it's mineral waters or specific treatments for gut issues prior to going on to a medication and all this other stuff. And I would love to see more of like a playing nice, you know, eventually the Western medicine starts to accept a little bit more of like the preventative side and the, 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 more traditional medicine approach, the more holistic approaches. Because right. I feel like it is, you know, at the end of the day, them playing nicely together would be the optimal result, right? If we can get as many people as we can to not have to take medication, but still have access to great surgical care. 
right? Yeah, and it's unfortunate that those can't intertwine, or in most cases they don't, right? The the other side of things just doesn't agree. They don't understand. Um, And I see this every day. Someone says, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm taking magnesium, and their doctor says, why are you taking that? Magnesium is a coenzyme in over 300 reactions in the body, and we don't get enough in our food every day. Why would you not? What's What's the what's detrimental what's the about downside, yeah. taking magnesium? It's it's amazing what I hear from people every day, and you know there is a time and a space for all of that surgery and emergency medicine and that sort of thing, but um, it just doesn't always need to be the first route of right. things. Right. Yeah. I'm grateful for the technology, but it doesn't always need to be the first line of defense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, knowledge and, and all of the things that we've been talking about this entire episode, I think, is, is, is a great way to have that first line of defense. Um, so this has been fantastic. If people want to learn more, um, you know, find more of your content, see more of your posts, or, or learn more about, you know, engaging with you, let's say that they're listening to this and they're like, I have issues with my hormones, or I haven't been able to maintain a solid sleep schedule, or I feel like there's a bear chasing me all of the time, right? <laughs> Um, and I've already tried, you know, talking to my therapist and I'm on meds and all this other stuff and things just aren't working. You know, I feel like I'm kind of at a loss. Um, where can they find you um, on the internet and get in touch with you? Yep. So they can find me on Instagram, Facebook. My Instagram is at Dr. Lexi Taylor. Um, our website is connectednutrition.co. And there you can find lots more resources, different products I recommend. And if you want to, we can go ahead and always schedule a visit and dive deeper into things for you. Rock and roll. Cool. Um, well, again, thanks for uh, coming, taking the time to come um, and be on the podcast. For those of you that this is your first time listening to the Apex podcast, you can find me at uh, Jan, looks like Jan, J-A-N, Almasy, A-L-M-A-S-Y on LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook, um, or you can just Google that and uh, you should be able to find plenty of podcast episodes and other resources. Uh, to get engaged on the Apex side. We have um, guests like this on the Apex podcast typically around once a month. We release podcasts weekly, uh, talk a lot of about entrepreneurship, um, and just bring on interesting people that are doing amazing things in the world. So um, if that's something that would interest you, make sure you hit that subscribe button because I'm watching, and I'll know if you don't. Uh, until next time, have a great rest of your day. Thank you.